I'm so glad I get to be here today. Aren't you glad that you get to be alive at this time in history to see something like that taking place out on that hill, hillside? Praise the Lord. Do you, do you meet anybody in the community that asks what's going on there? Or you, do you, have you had a chance to say and to tell somebody and like communicate in some way, like when you're at the store or getting gas, whatever it might be? Have you had a chance to tell somebody what's going on up there? I have, just in random conversation with folks, had an opportunity to say, oh yeah, that's, that's our church. And they're like, what? Really? Yeah, that's our church. We're, we're, we own that hillside. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, I know I've shared it a couple times, but not very much. But for me personally, it's, it's so um, breathtaking it just takes my breath away to see what's happening up there because in 2012, I had a series of dreams and the last dream I had, so real, I know I, I, it, it was beyond anything I'd, I'd experienced before, but I had this dream that I was in a warehouse with glass from floor to ceiling on one side of the, the warehouse and uh, we were there on a special occasion and in the back of the room, somebody, somebody in the dream is, you know, shouted out, here they come. And we all turned around. This is like the very short version. We all turned around and faced opposite the glass, which overlooked a big river, and it was cold outside. And uh, we turn away from the glass, and thousands upon thousands of giant red salmon come flying into the building, and they, they start piling up in like mountains of salmon. And I had no idea that I would one day be here in Alaska where the salmon live, and they turn red. And um, when Pastor Daniel asked us to start giving, you know, our personal input or whatever as a staff into the building, I had asked about a specific wall in the lobby why the picture looked different. And he said, oh, it's because it's windows from floor to ceiling. And I thought, oh, of course it is. God knows what he's doing, and you and I get to be here at this particular time to see things happen. It's his intention to touch this whole state, and we get to be here. I got to move rocks, and I got to lay down styrofoam, and I got to hurt my hands, and I got to get wet, right? How many of you got to go out there and do something already? E even if it was just move a few rocks, right, Miss Liz? Miss Liz, you got to pick up some rocks? Praise the Lord. What a privilege. Hey, I get to preach today. I'm so glad. Let's take time and pray. Father, I need help. Amen. You ever pray that? Me too. It's a real prayer. Praise the Lord. I am very overwhelmed by the passage to preach from today. And uh, it's just stirring within me. Pastor Daniel asked if I would preach on a Sunday morning. Generally, I'm upstairs or in the lobby. I oversee our children's ministry and some other things here. And it's, I'd rather be up there with the kids. Don't, don't be offended, but they're more fun. <laughs> and, it, you know, praise the Lord. So uh, I get to preach today, and I've been praying this week, Lord, what do you want to say? I really don't have an agenda to present, and I don't really see preaching as a time to 
present my own personal agenda, and, and I, I really appreciate that about King's Cathedral and Chapels, that all of our pastors operate like that. We really want the word of the Lord to come forth, because it has power, and it changes lives. And so I've been praying this week, and I, I believe God's given me a, a very long passage to preach from. It's just so full of stuff. It's been, it's been a, a challenge to kind of get it down into a segment for, you know, Sunday morning time. Praise the Lord. Can you guys hear me in the lobby? I see you out there like, uh, yeah, there they are. Praise the Lord. So I used to get really upset when I was in grade school because I, I went to kids camp and I got saved at kids camp and I got filled with the Holy Spirit and yet I would go to school and I would sit down at lunch and something in me would just like get really you know, upset because I would look over at my friend who didn't go to kids camp, didn't get saved. And, uh, you know, they, they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit trying to do right and, you know, doing all the churchy things. And I don't think he'd ever been to church. And yet he had a foil wrap ding dong in his lunch. <laughs> and I never got one. And I would look at that and I would say, man, that's not fair. I'm trying to do what God wants. And he got the foil wrap ding dong. It's not the same as a cupcake. Those of you who appreciate the, the finer delicacies of snack cakes, you understand. And not just that. It was cold because his mom... Put him in the freezer. And he gets to pull out this treat. And I'm sitting there going, I think my mom's watching right now. So, mom, I really wanted a, a foil wrap ding dong. <laughs> it's too late. Years and years of lunch times, and there was not never one foil wrap ding dong in my lunch. Are you feeling my pain this morning? No, Merrill's like, no. You know why? He had foil wrap ding dongs in his lunch. <laughs> kids want things to be fair, don't they? Anybody have little kids at home and you have to settle the fairness issue? You ever have to do that? I have multiple kids. Speaking of kids in your home, we just want to give a big, quiet hand clap for our newest member of our church sitting right over here in the corner with the Pisonis. Minister Micah and Chanel have their newest addition here. Minister Micah and Chanel, congratulations. We're so proud for you. I'm sorry your new little one didn't get to hear Pastor Daniel preach on their very first Sunday at King's Chapel, they got to put up with me. So, you know, you can like play something on YouTube back there if you want of Pastor Daniel. Just act like it was the same. But kids want things to be fair, don't they? They, they appreciate fairness. They don't appreciate unfairness. That's not 
unfair. Especially if you have like multiple kids in your house and one of them got something that the other ones didn't get. Christmas time is really a challenge, right? Anybody, your brother or sister got something and you went, and you looked at yours and you went, The fairness thing in a, in a family is so challenging sometimes. Sometimes you just have to say to your kids, you know what? Life's not fair. Life's not fair. God's not fair. That's what I tell my kids. Life's not fair and neither is God. Because if God was fair, we'd all be in hell today. You and me. And our precious little one. God's not fair. Today, we got, I've got a passage that just to me personally, even if I'm just preaching to myself, is so overwhelming that uh, at the unfairness of God, that we're the recipients of the unfairness of God. By right, the devil should be able to drag us off to hell. But by simple faith, we can receive something great from God. Not by actions or by proving that we're somehow worth it or by earning something. We don't even have to earn it. God in his goodness and kindness presents a gift to us. that We don't have to do anything to receive but simply believe. God is so not fair. Don't you know the devil is stomping his foot and crying and whining? This is not fair. You know he is over your life and over you and your family. This is not fair. Every time you t lift your voice in prayer and God responds and grants you an answer to your prayer, the devil is stomping and whining like a crying little, little sibling. This is not fair. You have so much favor with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God who created everything listening for you That's, and me. That's so amazing. Why don't you take your Bible and let's look at a wonderful example of how unfair God is to a people that don't deserve it. The undeserving. And if, you, if you're a note taker person, kind of whatever, or maybe you're going to you know, you're at home and you're writing some things down. The, I'm going to give a title to what I'm going to present today called The, the Hope of the Undeserving. Let's take a look at, uh, in the Old Testament, we want to look at Second Kings. Second Kings, and really it covers several chapters here, but we're just going to give some highlights. Why don't you turn to Second Kings chapter 6. And so this section of Second Kings, uh, if you're not familiar with it, is highlighting what you may be familiar with, the, the prophet Elisha and some of the amazing things that happened when he prophesied and God fulfilled what he had said. You got an axe head made out of iron, starts floating in a river, okay? You've got some, an, an entire army that shows up and Elisha speaks and they all go blind, the entire army. And then he just, by the hand, leads them where he wants them to go. That's really amazing. You got the Shunammite and, and, and her son and the whole everything, all these amazing miracles. 
And then you got this interesting story, and uh, that's what I want to highlight today is what happened to the city of Samaria. And we're going to pick up reading, and I've got several things to read here. If you would, stand with me as I read the Word, as, just as a gesture and a, to honor the Word of the Lord. And why don't you take a look at chapter 6. I'm going to kind of skip around here. I'm not going to skip parts of the story as I preach, but I am going to skip some of it while I read, and you can finish up reading it at home on your own this week, and I hope you're as overwhelmed as I am at the kindness of God. Sometime later, this is uh, 2 Kings 6.24. Sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, that is Syria, okay, that's the nation of Syria, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. There was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of a cab of seed pods. I'm reading from the NIV. Yours may say something else. We'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, For five shekels. And then uh, there's a few more things that describe the famine. Let's jump all the way to chapter 7, verse 1. It says, Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a seah of flour will sell for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven. Could this happen? You will see it with your own eyes, answered Elisha, but you will not eat any of it. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, we die. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, not a man was there, for the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittites, and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. They ate and drank and carried away silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Then they said to each other, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the palace. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, we went into the Aramean camp, and not a man was there, not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys, and the tents left just as they were. 
The gatekeepers shouted the news, and it was reported within the palace. Then the king makes some decisions. We're going to jump to um, verse 16. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. So a sea of flour sold for a shekel, and two seas of barley sold for a shekel, as the Lord had said. Now the king had put the officer on whose arm he leaned in charge of the gate, and the people trampled him in the gateway, and he died, just as the man of God had foretold when the king came down to his house. I'm going to stop reading there. Father, help us again. Amen. You may be seated. What an interesting story. What an amazing story. What a sad story. So the setting is, Elisha, for some time, kept foretelling through prophetic words to the king of Israel, just doing a little background here on what's happening in this story. He kept telling the king of Israel what the Arameans were going to do, so that every time the Arameans tried to attack Israel, their plans were frustrated. The king of Israel already knew what they were doing. So that's where you find the story of Elisha blinding the Arameans or Syrians and leading them away. And so they left Israel alone for quite a while. Well, here they come again. This time they surround the city so that the city can't get any supplies. And they stay there so long that the city starts eating itself because there's no food. Well, where do you get that? The part I didn't read was about these two moms who decided to cook their own kids and eat them. They were selling a donkey's head for food. And that phrase about the seed pods where people were selling and buying the dung of doves and eating it for food. What a horrible circumstance that had come upon this city of Samaria. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. And the city was led by a very evil king. His name was Joram. And he was leading his people into evil. And this is the outcome of all the decisions that he had made and they had made with him to serve other gods and not the living God. So here they are in this Terrible, I don't even know the right word to use to describe just how awful it must have been. It would be a really um, tragic situation for anybody just trying to stay alive. So let's talk about, I want to present the characters of this story. And then I want to present to us God's great kindness to them. And what I want to bring out is that not one of these people deserved anything good from God. So let's take a look at, at uh, the king, King Joram, Joram, or however you want to say it. Wicked king, serving and sacrificing to other gods, rejecting the living God. Siege lasted so long, all these tragic things are happening. He's walking on his wall one day, and these two moms call out and tell him what they had done with their children. And one of the moms is really upset because they cooked and ate her child. And then when it came time to, 
cook and eat the next child, that mom went and hid their child. This is not fair. Can, this is really wickedness here. I don't think any of you have ever had to dive so deep to survive that you would cook your own children up. You wouldn't even consider that. These people are wicked people. There's no righteousness here. They're not calling out on the Lord to be saved. They're not worshiping, worshiping the, the, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the maker of heaven. And so Elisha gives this prophetic word to the king. And when he hears the, excuse me, let me back up. He hears these two women, you know, complaining to the king about what they're having to do. And instead of repenting and saying, oh God, forgive me and forgive us. I'm the king of all of this. All this is my responsibility. Instead of him internalizing it and saying, oh Lord, what have I done to my people? He gets angry at Elisha. And he blames God for what's happened. I know you would never do anything like that, but this king had, in all of his mess, doesn't even look in the mirror. He points and shakes his fist at heaven, says, God, you've done this. And he sends someone, one of his messengers, with a secret mission to Elisha's house. And the mission is, he's going to kill Elisha. He's going to remove his head. Well, Elisha, being the prophet, already knows what's happening and locks his door and won't let the guy inside, but instead gives the amazing prophetic word that even though they don't deserve anything from the holy, holy, holy God, God is going to do something astounding for them. And within 24 hours, it will all be changed around. So this, this horrible circumstance, how much was a donkey's head selling for? Well, if you do the math of how much silver was worth, the donkey's head for you to feed your family would cost you about $450. This is how devastating and drastic even the economic situation had been for these people. And the little pint of bird poop, that you were going to feed your kids that night and try to keep away, you know, try to keep alive with, was selling for about $25. But what Elisha is saying to the king who won't repent and he just continues to hate God for it, is that about this time tomorrow, the whole thing's going to be flipped around. How much, what is he saying economic-wise that it's going to be? So I did a little bit more math. Hopefully I wrote it down. What he's saying is that seven quarts of flour is going to be selling for five bucks. And that 13 quarts of barley is going to be selling for five dollars about this time tomorrow. So enter in the next person in our story. So you've got the king. Now the next person in this story, after Elisha, the only righteous person in the whole story, one righteous person. In the whole story, the next person on our list of characters in this tragedy is the officer on whom the king leaned. This is like what would be considered his most trusted advisor, a man of great respect, of authority. The king trusted him to make decisions, to give wisdom. His response to the prophetic word is, Pa, whatever, in our own language, 
we would say, there ain't no way that's happening. Yeah, whatever, and moving on. The turnaround that Elisha prophesized is so astounding that these leaders who are supposed to be leading their people in righteousness, they mock and scoff at the power of God, that God somehow couldn't do that, at the creativity of God. They had in their mind fixed, you know, solutions. And I know we do that sometimes. We have specific ways that we think God should or would do things. And so these men, especially the officer, verbalizes his unbelief. Why don't you say that with me? Unbelief. He verbalizes his unbelief. And basically mocks God and mocks the servant of God. Says there's no way. The next person, group of people in our story as characters of this tragedy are the people themselves. They have been led into wickedness. They do have a decision to make on their own how they're going to respond to the living God. Now they are living... In the old covenant, Jesus had not yet come with the new covenant, and the veil has not yet been torn. So their interaction with the Lord happens through the temple, through sacrifice. However, they can choose to honor and love and serve God at home in their own personal life. And they're not choosing to. They're choosing wickedness. Look at the story. Look what they did to their kids. They're following their king, but they're also following their own sinful desires. It's not just the king. It's their own personal decision as well. And then lastly, we have in this story the lepers. They live outside the city. They're not even allowed to come inside. They are outcasts. They, are, they have been rejected. No one even wants to talk to them. If food should even happen to show up, they would be the last people in line to get some. Who in this story deserves anything good from God? None of them do. Elisha's the only one who's righteous in the story. Everyone else is at the bottom of the righteousness list. On a scale of 1 to 10, they would be a zero. Compared to God and his righteousness and his holiness and his goodness, they don't have anything to offer the king of kings. No worship, no sacrifice, no nothing. They don't deserve anything from God. Yet here these lepers are, and they make this very interesting decision. They've analyzed their circumstance and realized no matter what we do, we're going to die. This is bad and it's turning worse. We've got to do something. So they assess their situation. They're not going to be allowed in the city. If they stay here, they're going to die. There's only one possible solution that has any glimmer of hope for us. It's to go surrender to the Arameans. So they up and decide to take a tremendous step of faith, a, st a step of desperation and faith, and just the tiniest bit of anything called hope. They were tired of their condition. They saw nothing but 
despair and tragedy ahead. And they decide we, we got to make some kind of action. So they up and take off and go to the camp of the Arameans. When they get there, they find the most amazing discovery. The Arameans had been chased off by God in his power. He had frightened them to the point that they couldn't even get on their horses and run away. They couldn't take anything with them. I don't know how God does something like that, but I believe what the Bible says. That in one moment, God chases off all these, uh, the entire army, and they leave everything behind. You would think that if they were really scared, you know, and something had frightened them, they would get on their horses and get away faster. But they were so terrified that they just took off running, and as they were running, took off whatever was keeping them from going faster. I can't get out of here fast enough. <laughs> you can see on there, they, they were convinced there was an even more terrifying army coming upon them, and they lost their minds. Amazing. So these lepers plunder, they, they, they take as much as they can, okay, and they hide it, and then they, they have this realization that if we don't share this with other people, we are entering into sin. This is not right for us to have all this abundance at our fingertips and not go tell the city. Now, who were they compared to the city? They were the rejects and the outcasts. You would think in their mind they would say, those people never cared about us. We ain't going to care about them. Eat it up. Come on. We got to go hide as much as we can before sunrise because when the city wakes up and looks out here, they're coming out here to get it. They didn't operate like that. Something inside them said, This is so good, I've got to, we've got to go tell the city. Who are these lepers? Doesn't list them by name. Some, you know, rabbinic scholars happen to think it's Gehazi and his sons doesn't change what the story is, but just for an interesting side note, if you're unfamiliar with Gehazi, he was turned leprous because he operated in greed with Elisha. He was Elisha's top servant. So what is this uh, story saying to us? We've looked at the characters of the story, and we've looked at some of their plight. So what? What's the point? Well, there's a lot of this passage. We could just zone in on one here, one little thing here. But I want to give you the takeaway from this tragedy right here. It's what happens at the end. So the lepers go and they report to the city and shout, Hey, everybody, come and get it. The enemy is gone. And all of everything you would ever need is sitting right over here. The people lose their minds. And they trample over people to get there. The officer whose unbelief caused him to mock God, mock his servant, got to see it, didn't get to touch it. They ran right over him to go get to it. So what is this for us? Today, I want you to hear a few things. Number one, God can turn any horrible circumstance around in a moment. 
He's not restricted. There's no level by which it's dropped so bad that it's out of God's reach. God has all power and authority. Whatever it is your circumstance is, it is not beyond the reach of the living God. He can do anything. He can do the impossible. He can chase away the enemy. He can turn around your finance. He can turn around your family, job, whatever it might be. God can do miracles. Even if it sounds like it's crazy impossible to go from eating donkeys' heads and bird poop for all of my life savings to shelling out a few bucks for more than enough in 24 hours. It's a picture of God's kindness and compassion to an undeserving people. Nobody in that city deserved anything good from God. They deserved to be rejected and punished by God. The king deserved to be rejected and punished by God. And here God is intervening for them again against the same enemy that had been trying to get to them multiple times. Giving the king and the people yet another opportunity to repent and say, Lord, you're so good. I'm going to turn away from my gods and serve the living God. It's a picture of his great kindness. He's the hope of the undeserving. God can turn any circumstance around. He's the hope of the undeserving. You Sometimes, as a human being, we can sometimes define our life by looking back at some of the things we wish we'd done differently. It's so easy to come up with a list of things we wish we could go back and change. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? God doesn't see you like that. God doesn't see you like that. If God, in his great compassion and kindness, would ha have mercy on these moms who are eating their kids, how much more for those who would call on his name? If God could look at the people of Samaria and have such a broken heart for them that he would chase the enemy off, how much for those that he's already died for, that he's torn the veil open for and given you direct access to him. So not only can God turn something horrible around in a day, not only is he the hope of the undeserving, he's given us the privilege to be called sons and daughters of God. And he doesn't see us by all the things we wish we could redo like we do. He doesn't see us as condemned. He sees us as his children. Romans 8 declares it. There is therefore now no condemnation for who? Those who are in Christ Jesus. And the rest of it says, For the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. And what the 
law was powerless to do, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering for you and me, for sinful man. God himself, who's so holy that if you looked at him, you would die, looks at us and has such great kindness and compassion. It's so easy in the English language to say God loves you. It seems really small. But when you look at a story like this and realize that God intervened for these wicked people, how much more would he intervene for you if you called on his name? If you believed. I want to read a, another scripture here in Romans. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Romans 8. Again, Romans 8, and then let's look at 32. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God traded the greatest treasure of heaven for our shame and our embarrassment you are so valuable to God that he wants to take all of your shame and wipe it away so that you don't have to live with it. You're so valuable to God who made everything. I want you to get a picture today of the wickedness of these people and yet somehow God loved them so much that he would do the impossible for them. The same is true for us. We don't deserve anything from God. God doesn't owe us anything. Sometimes in our own arrogance, we have this presumption that somehow God owes us something because we did something for Him, or we showed up at church, or we gave in the offering. God has to do something for me now. God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us a healing. He doesn't owe us provision. He doesn't owe us joy. He, he already gave us the greatest thing in heaven that he could. He already generously offered his son for us. It would be horribly arrogant of us to have some mindset that God owes us something. He's already given us more than we could ever pay back we owe God everything any kind of goodness or kindness that you think has happened in your life and my life is because of God's goodness to us we owe God everything God doesn't owe you anything please understand that today if God would somehow respond to your prayer it's because of his kindness God keeps his word. Are there, are there promises in the, in the word that God would, if then? Absolutely. Out of his kindness and out of his character, he will keep his word. We don't deserve. We are the people in the city. You and I, we're the people in the city. We desperately need salvation in our life. We have people in our lives that we want them to be saved. Anybody have people in your life that are saved? Yeah, guess what? 
They need some lepers to come tell them the good news. Another picture in this story to take home is not only can God turn it all around in a day, not only is he the hope of the undeserving, but he can take the lepers to save a city. Somebody had to go tell the city, hey, guys, there's a whole bunch of food right out here. All you got to do is come pick it up. The takeaway is the, this is an amazing picture of what God did for us through Jesus. Brought salvation. We were the lepers. Dying in our sin. And all we had to do was go surrender. That's you and me. And we have people in this community, people in our state, that need us to come shout up the city walls, hey, there's salvation here. Just come and get it. The great tragedy of the story is the person, is the officer. The great tragedy in the story isn't the people's wickedness or the king's wickedness or the lepers. It's the person that didn't believe. He saw it and got ran over by the people who did believe. You might be watching online or maybe you're here this morning and we have a decision to make about who we're going to be in this story. The story is about us. Don't be that officer who through his unbelief lost everything. Not only did he suffer and despair in a city that was dying, eating donkeys and other things, not only did he have to live like that, he died before he could get something good. Unbelief will cost you everything. It'll cost you your life and your future. Unbelief is a horrible, horrible position to be in when you're looking at a God who loves you with everything he's got and will trade heaven for you. So now, how are we supposed to respond to this? First of all, I'm shouting to you right now, and I'm shouting to you that are online or maybe you're watching at a later date, hey, there's salvation for you. The same salvation that me as an undeserving person found is available to you. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You just got to receive it. They didn't have to fight the Arameans. They just walked in the tent and took it. The same principle is true to receive God's Son, to receive what He did on the cross for you. The same is true. Just receive it. All you have to do is believe that what Jesus did was for you. And you live for Him with that belief. So the first thing I want us to hear in response today is if you haven't received salvation from God, receive it today. The second thing is that if we, with full access to God, having Jesus already died for us and made a way for us, if we can live in that covenant with Him, how much more will He do for us and our family if we will but ask? 
I'm urging you today to engage and become a person of prayer. One righteous person prophesied and brought salvation to thousands of people. Look at where God's positioned you as a person on the job, your neighborhood, your family. Your words could bring salvation to thousands of people. Your actions, the way you live your life. God made it clear in this new covenant with him that he will grant us whatever we ask in his name. The challenge is we don't ask. He gave a very clear parable of the woman and the unjust judge. He's telling his disciples and all those that were listening that this lady annoyed the judge so much he granted her whatever she asked for and then he tells us I told this story so that people would always pray and never give up the God who traded heaven for you wants to hear what's on your heart he cares he's personal and he will intervene in your family and in your life and in your job and in this community and in this state and he'll intervene in a nation if people will take a hold of that privilege and act on it. The last thing I want us to engage in, one, receive the Lord's salvation if you never have. Two, become a person who operates in prayer. And then number three, go tell somebody Go tell somebody that doesn't deserve God's goodness that all of His kindness is available to them. Who's undeserving? We are. So are our neighbors. We're about to do two big events at the end of this month. And you're probably wondering why we would do these type of events. Isn't our building already too full? Yes. I know. I, I serve in children's ministry with many of you. There's not enough room. Right, Ashley? It's overcrowded. Do we want to pack it more? <sighs> Don't ask the children's people that. We're doing some events at the, uh, at the end of this month that are very unusual. I'm going to dress up and put paint on my face and turn the lights off and stand in the dark where I can't see anything and shout as loud as I can. There's salvation for the undeserving. Whatever you've done in your past doesn't mean you don't qualify for God's salvation. We're going to have some really loud music and some ungodly music playing in this place. Our youth are going to dress up in certain ways that would draw people who wouldn't come in here to hear me preach. But they'll come in here to hear a specific kind of music. They'll come in and hear that. And when they come in here and sit here and these young people are all dressed up, some of them are going to be dressed up like some kind of evil thing. Some of them are going to have chains, and you're going to be walking here going, 
What happened to my church? Aren't we holy people? What is this? I want you to ask yourself, who deserves this, the kindness and the compassion of God? Everyone is a recipient and no one deserves it. And in some way, we're going to try to draw people in here to hear that. We're going to need some help to get it done. I'm overwhelmed today because I don't deserve anything. I dress all, try to dress nice. I try to have my hair look nice. I'm not very good at it, because that's why I cut it so short. I try to make sure my glasses are clean so that when, you, when you're looking at me, there's not like a dot, you know. You know, it's embarrassing. None of that qualifies me for the goodness and kindness of God. I don't deserve His goodness. Come on, would you stand with me? We've got a few minutes left together here. I hope in some way you heard today that God loves you with a love that overlooks anything undeserving you think you have and that you can call on His name. And I hope you heard today that if you somehow arrogantly think God owes you something, I hope I stepped on it because He doesn't. I want you to hear today that you can intervene and make a difference for thousands just like Elisha did. And I want you to hear today that all of God's goodness and kindness is for more than just whoever's in this room. And we've got to be like the lepers. To not say something would be wrong. Come on, I want you to pray for just a moment. I want you to reflect on the characters I presented in the setting, in the story. Oh God, I pray for those today who need to receive what you've done for them. Or maybe they received it and cast it aside. Maybe even right now they're feeling like those ladies or the people in that city that are living, living in such a way that they don't deserve salvation. Made decisions that are not decisions they would make again. They would, they would change them if they could. Today, oh God, you're offering salvation. You're offering forgiveness of sins and mercy. Lord, I pray for each person that's listening online, either right now or at a later time. God, I, I thank you. I thank you, God, that you made a way for us, that you died on the cross, that we, while we were yet sinners, you died for us. I thank you, God. Come on, I want you to just thank him right now. Lord, we're overwhelmed this morning. I thank you, God. I thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for paying my price. I couldn't pay it myself. I was a member of the city of Samaria. And you made a way. I thank you, God. 
I thank you, God, I couldn't earn salvation from you. In my greatest attempt, I could never be as good as you are, oh God. But you're great. Your mercy is made new every morning. And your loving kindness is better than life. And you graciously made a way for us. Hey, maybe you need to receive that salvation today. Today's your day. I'm calling out to you like the lepers to the city. There's salvation for you. Even if you don't feel like you deserve it, God doesn't look at you like that. He looks at you like his child and wants to give you something great for eternity. He doesn't want you to live in eternity in hell. He wants you to live in heaven with him for all eternity, never separated from his goodness and kindness. Hear me today. You can receive what God did for you, the amazing gift of salvation. Praise the Lord. If you're listening online, we're going to take a moment to pray. If you're driving or, or something that you can't stop, please stop just a moment. We're going to pray and receive that. Or just pray while you're listening. We're going to receive what God did for us. If it's the first time, if it's the first time you've ever prayed to receive God's great gift for you, I want you to come talk to Pastor Vince right after we're done here. He's going to help you get you on a road and on a, a track to reshaping your life into God's promises. So why don't you pray? Let's all pray. Let's all just as a, an act of faith like the lepers this morning. Receive what God did for us. Let's pray it right out loud. Just look up to heaven and say, Heavenly Father, I thank you right now. You made a way for me. I don't deserve your goodness or your kindness, but you're generous towards me. I receive today what you did on the cross. I believe in my heart that you died for me that you rose from the dead and that you provided all your goodness and kindness for me. Thank you for loving me while I was yet a sinner. I give you my life from this moment on. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Now come on, I want you to pray about somebody in your life that needs someone to shout up this, the city walls. Father, right now, I thank you for every position represented in this room and those online of family, position on the job, in our neighborhood. Oh God, what you've done for us, may we do for others. God, use us in our family. Even today, a phone call, a text, a Facebook post, whatever it might be to walk next door and knock on the door and actually meet our neighbor and to, to declare the goodness and kindness of God to an undeserving people. I thank you, God. Come on, lift up your family members. Father, we lift up our family that desperately needs to turn to you. Today, oh God, let them hear your voice. Today, God, those that are riddled with unbelief, God, would you grab a hold of them May every deceitful thought, every lie from the pit of hell be broken if just for a moment to grant them 
a moment of repentance. Come on, let's pray for our nation. God, we intercede for our nation today that desperately needs to turn to you. It's the city of Samaria. God, you've made a way. Use us. Use KC in a hundred locations as centers of revival shouting up the wall that the enemy has been drawn, been chased away, that the plunder is all available. Salvation is here. I thank you, God. I give you praise. Hey, I've taken a little too long this morning. Thank you for letting me get this out today. I've been so moved by this passage, understanding and just trying to grasp the goodness of God. It's unbelievable, amazing kindness of God. Our time is up this morning. Tell somebody today. Maybe you're believing God for a miracle turnaround. God can turn it around. God can turn it around. Come on, let's pray for one another. I'm going to ask Pastor Vince to come dismiss us. If you receive Jesus for the, the very first time, why don't you come talk to Pastor Vince if, if you could as soon as he's done. Father, I ask your blessings and your traveling mercies on those that are here this morning. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.